to another edition of our podcast, VNA. Today, we're going to learn about the discrimination perpetrated against Mexican-Americans in the early 1940s and how it has permeated modern-day America. Later, we will be joined by Vanessa's grandmother, whose father was a Bracero for 25 years. She will share her knowledge with us so that we can, gra- can grasp the severity of the dehumanization the Mexican-Americans face. Throughout history, Mexican-Americans have been victims of dehumanization. The Bracero Program, which was formed on August 4, 1942, is an instance in which Mexican laborers were often cheated out of wages and forced to work in unjust conditions. A bracero, which is slang for field hand, would come and work in American farms for a season roughly six months. This program was intended to be an economic salve for both Mexico and the United States during World War II. However, its success caused it to continue for years after. Despite the fact that American lives are deeply intertwined with Mexican labor, the bracero program never offered a pathway to citizenship. An article from Timeline.com states, The Bracero program cemented a system in which Mexican guest workers could come and provide essential labor in America while never having the avenues to lay roots in the U.S. Evidently, this is a continuing pattern where the United States considers Mexican laborers to be expendable. Oftentimes, these laborers are only seen as tools. Some might say, well, why would you want to deport Mexicans? Who would clean your houses then? Who would work in the fields? While this argument is typically made in hopes for supporting the Mexican community, it's really just counterproductive. Yeah, and it's almost framing Mexicans as mere tools for American success, as opposed to humans who should have a chance at seeking better opportunities and a better life. Exactly. And when the Bracero program was created, it provided Mexican laborers with the opportunity to work and stimulate the Mexican economy. Contracts including minimum wage, decent housing, food, and access to health care. However, many laborers were cheated out of wages since the government inspectors were overextended. This goes to show the amount of resources the American government put forward into this program and how they truly didn't care for the people just the labor they provided. I've had several conversations with my grandma about this, and something that kept coming up was the fact that the United States was in desperate need of laborers during and after World War II. They welcomed them into country when they needed them, but now it's like they don't want any immigrants to come in. There's this huge issue of immigration, But in reality, the influx of immigrants at the border is a consequence of U.S. imperialism and interference in other countries' politics. We can even connect this to repatriation, or a form of glorified deportation, because Mexican-Americans were taken on this back and forth of, yes, please be a part of the United States, to this, you know what, we don't really need you anymore, so get out. Of course, the American government framed it as if they were doing Mexican-Americans a favor. It's even worse when you get into account how America is able to perpetrate the stigma of immigrants taking American jobs when in reality, it's just another ploy to deem immigrants and Mexican-Americans as inferior. So this has really been a repeating instance of discrimination and dehumanization, which stems from a sense of American superiority. I'd now like to introduce my abuelita, who is going to be talking to us about her father and his experiences. We're going to be calling her, and we will provide an interpretation for her responses immediately after. Hola, abuelita. Hola, buenos días. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, ¿y tú? Muy bien, gracias. ¿Cómo amaneciste? Ah, muy bien. Ah, qué bueno. <laughs> so, for our audience, I'm going to start off with a question. What is your name and where are you from? Me llamo Marta Silvia Olmos Mares y soy de Guanajuato, Guanajuato, México. My grandmother says her name is Marta Silvia Olmos Mares and she is from Guanajuato, Mexico, which is in central Mexico. And how are you connected to the Bracero program? Mi papá fue Bracero. En, antes de que yo naciera se fue a los Estados Unidos. 
-huh. y, y este, bueno, cuando yo nací, bueno, él venía a visitarnos cada año y después ya nací yo y de hecho yo no viví con él porque él estaba trabajando en los Estados Unidos. My abuelita says that her father was a bracero and before she was born, he went to work over in the United States and he would visit roughly every year, but she never lived with him because he was over in America for so long. What kind of a person was he? What kind of a father? Bueno, él fue minero. Él nació aquí en, en Pachuca, Hidalgo, donde es una zona de minas, de donde sacaban oro y plata. ¿sí? Mm -hmm. Después eh, vino a Guanajuato y aquí este, conoció a mi mamá. Trabajó en las minas también aquí. Era muy mm -hmm. pobre y trabajó en las minas. También este, de oro y plata. Entonces después vinieron los, pues como eran muy pobres, ten, tenemos muy pocas oportunidades, no estudió, uh -huh. este, todo fue puro trabajo. Y después vinieron, vino la oportunidad de que vinieron este, ciudadanos norteamericanos a ofrecerles trabajo para traba, para estar en los Estados Unidos, con la, uh -huh. con la oportunidad de darles, o sea, de, de papeles y todo en regla. ¿sí? Entonces sí. se los llevaron y ya estuvieron trabajando allí. My grandma says that he was a miner. He was born in Pachuca Hidalgo, where it was a mining zone for gold and silver. Later, he went to Guanajuato, where he met my great-grandmother. Um, he worked in the mines there, too, but he was very poor and had very little opportunities since he never went to university, so everything was just pure work. Um, and then some Americans came, and they offered jobs so that these workers could be in the United States with the chance to give them documents and everything. Um, so then they took them over and they went working over in the United States. And how do you think he felt going to work over there all those years? Pues yo creo que se sintió solo, pero pues para él era más importante su familia. Pues sí. Y dejó a todos sus hijos acá y a su esposa. Entonces, pues sí era una oportunidad de ganar más, pero al final de cuentas, venía haciendo lo mismo porque él no estaba con su familia, estaba mandando dinero para sobrevivir acá y él estaba pues gastando dinero en él para sobrevivir allá. She thinks he felt very alone. I mean, for him, family was very important, but he had to leave all of his children over in Mexico and his wife as well. But going to the United States was an opportunity for him to gain more money and provide for them. How do you think he was treated? Yo creo que, bueno, eso no lo supe yo nunca. Porque era una persona muy callada, se guardaba todas sus cosas para no preocupar a mi mamá, porque yo estaba muy chica. Entonces, pues no, nunca dijo realmente cómo lo trataban, pero pues... Yo, las fotos que mandaba, eh, siempre era que estaba trabajando en el campo, porque trabajó en, en, la, en la siembra de flores. Uh -huh. Entonces, este, la, pues se veía ahí que estaba trabajando pues todo el día en, entre los entre las flores y con sombrero, y se veía el sol y todo eso. O sea, realmente uh -huh. yo creo que pues, fue un trabajo muy duro. Pues Ahora, sí. hablamos solamente de un, del último patrón que tuvo en California, que dijo que pues que era muy buena persona y eso lo trataba muy bien. De los uh, demás, nunca dijo. Uh -huh. My grandma has no real way of knowing how he was treated, 
since he was a very quiet person, um, he would keep a lot of things to himself so as to not worry her mom. Um, Because she was so young, he never really said anything either way. But the photos that he would send were always that he was working in the field. You could see him with his hat on um, in the sun. And honestly, she thinks it was very difficult work. Um, She does know, however, that the last boss he had in California treated him very well and he was a good person, but the others he never talked about. How long was he in the United States? He was in the United States around 25 years. How often would he return to Mexico? My grandma says that he would come roughly every year um, or every two years, usually depending on the amount of money that he had. How often would he send money and around how much? Sí, mandaba cada ocho días. De ese tiempo eran 50 dólares. El equivalente estaba a 12.50, pero de eso que te digo es como por 1955. My grandma says that he would send money every week, and at that time it was $50, and the exchange rate was, per her recollection, $1 equals 12.50 pesos. Um, and this was around the year 1955. How is it that he would travel to the United States? Mm-hmm. The people that came from the United States offering jobs came and they all went over on a bus. They would have a work visa and everything and they took them over legally. She's not sure how many hours exactly it was, but the first time they left, they took him to Texas, and he worked there, and then afterwards he went to California. The reason he left Texas, she's not too sure, but he was living in Guanajuato for around two years, and then they came back for him, and that's when they went to California. Did you ever feel worried for him? In realidad, no, porque como yo nací aquí y él ya no estaba, En realidad yo no tenía un papá, o sea, sabía uh-huh. que tenía un papá que mandaba dinero, pero no así una persona que yo conociera, sé que era bueno y sé que era trabajador, pero pues no, yo como como papá no, no conviví con él más que cada año, una semana o tal vez menos, y yo chica, pues, o sea, y aparte eran otras costumbres, era así como llegar con su familia, pero pues su esposa, o sea, los adultos, a los niños éramos así como, ay, pues son los niños, ¿no? O sea, uh-huh. que no, no tenía tanta importancia, entonces en realidad, pues no, yo no viví con él, no sé, no. My grandma actually never really felt worried for her father, since he was never really around. She felt like she never really had a dad. Obviously, she knew she had a dad, a father who would send money, but he was never a person that she really knew. 
Um, she would only really see him for around a week, once a year, sometimes less. And being little, it was like he would come visit his family, but he really only came for his wife. And for the kids, it was like, oh, there's the kids, you know. <laughs> uh, it, she felt like they didn't have as much importance. So since she never really lived with him, no, she never felt worried. How did you feel not being able to see him all of that time? Pues al principio me daba, era así como muy, era común, no me, cuando yo estaba chica no, no sentí nada. Ya de grande, pues sí, ya de grande cuando empecé a razonar y todo, pues entonces sí, sentí que me hizo falta mi papá. Sí. Growing up, my grandma felt like it was normal. She didn't really feel his absence and... Once she grew up, that's when it really started to resonate with her, and she started to feel like she was missing her father. What year did he return to Mexico? My great-grandfather returned to Mexico in 1972. How do you think the Bracero program impacted the way American citizens see Mexican citizens? Essentially, my abuelita believes that Mexican citizens are the ones that are more likely to do the work that's harder, more difficult, the work that United States citizens usually aren't really willing to do. Additionally, she's come to understand that braceros were given social security when they stopped working. And my great-grandfather wasn't really prepared, but he had gotten a lawyer. And this lawyer told him to sign a few papers that would give him power of attorney. And later, when my great-grandfather tried to get in touch with this lawyer, um, the lawyer told him, oh no, the, the papers got lost, you know. So essentially, my great-grandfather was robbed of that money. And he was very much targeted because of his vulnerability. Is there anything else you want to share with me? Pues eso que está bien buscar este, mejorar económicamente, pero también pues estar también con la familia. My grandma says that while it's perfectly okay for you to want to gain more money, it's also important to be with your family. Not everything is about living with a lot of money. You also have to live well and spend time with your family. Familia es muy importante. Claro que sí. Pero también el dinero. Pero van a estar juntos. Sí, claro. My grandma says family is very important, but so is money. Okay, pues creo que eso es todo. Muchas gracias, uh -huh. abuelita. De nada, te quiero mucho. Aquí estoy. Yo también.
Prejudice Mexican Americans have faced within the United States have been incredibly evident throughout history, and it remains to be a dangerous truth within modern America. Mexican Americans, alongside other marginalized communities, cannot escape the ever-present threat of discrimination and racially motivated violence. Racism and prejudice blinds people, and it strips them of their humanity. No person should have to endure the dehumanization that Mexican Americans have faced. The brutality the Latinx community is currently facing has the same intentions as it did when the Bracero program was created. It is undeniably true that the events from the 1940s have affected the lives of Amer Mexican Americans today. This discrimination and dehumanization is a direct consequence of white supremacy and supposed racial superiority. As you leave this podcast today, I want you to take a moment to think about your own racial experiences, how you might receive privilege or injustice because of your identity, how you might have contributed to the discrimination against Mexican Americans or stereotypes about the community. Become conscious of your actions and work towards justice. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay educated. Blue moon, now I'm no longer alone. Without a dream in my heart, without a love of my heart.